0: Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. The following is a paid advertisement. This podcast is brought to you by the International Council of Shopping Centers. Retailers in your community have been put at a tremendous competitive disadvantage because of our antiquated sales tax framework that clearly benefits sellers located out of state. We need an environment in which all retailers can grow, create jobs, and continue to drive the American economy. Call your senators today and ask them to give local retailers a fair chance to compete by supporting the Marketplace Fairness Act of 2013. 13. that's from the international council of shopping centers today we're talking to bill crystal editor at the weekly standard a uh, bill the uh, I'm, I'm talking to you from boston where the news has been absolutely fascinating this week is there a more fascinating and terrifying family than the Zarniev family the grandma the mom the aunt the uncle the kook where, <laughs> this is <laughs> it's like the adams family for jihad
1: yeah, you know, and you read the stories, and they are fascinating, and you feel like you're learning about a sort of quite a strange culture from our point of view, you might mm-hmm. say, and and then you think it's like a reality show, but then you remember they killed people and wounded exactly. a lot more, and it's worrisome. I mean, I really, the more one gets into it, the more one sees that there were real failures in our national security, our counterterrorism apparatus, which I've got to say, the administration and an awful lot of the political elite don't really want to talk about it. I mean, there's this sense, you know, that you, you see them interviewed and it, this is, it worked well. We can be proud of what we did. Of course, we have to be proud of the heroism of the individual officers and the hard work of an awful lot of law enforcement and, and and other people in government and outside. But this is not acceptable, in my view, and people should be pretty worried. And if you're a foreign, uh, spo- a foreign government that sponsors terror, has an interest in terror, or a terrorist group, you look at what happened here and you think, gee, this— the U.S. does not look like um, as hard a target as maybe it looked like. It,
0: Boston does ago. not feel like the feds did a good job. When Bostonians found out that the, he had been reported, uh, uh, Tamerlin to both the FBI and the CIA, and they find out that he was here living on the dole, living on welfare, and traveling back and forth to Russia, and nobody knew about it. And then the worst part was when we found out that after they had the photos in their hands, the FBI still didn't know who he was. He had to come, they had to come to We the People and ask us to identify a guy who was on two watch lists. That doesn't inspire confidence.
1: No, and it shouldn't inspire complacency. And I, I do think there's a real case for a serious... Uh, sort of bipartisan commission of some kind to really look at the system we have. It's now, what, 12 years almost Mm -hmm. after uh, 9-11 and and real improvements have been made, I think. But um, there seem to be some of the same problems that people talked about right after 9-11, the failure to connect the dots certainly seem to be the case today. And a real wish not to know, you know, a real wish not to think hard about the implications of these international connections and the fact that there are, jihadists out there who want to kill Americans i guess it was progress when vice president biden said in his usual goofy way that uh, what did he call them knockoff jihadis right. and a lot of conservatives correctly kind of focused on the knockoff line which seemed a little dismissive of people mm-hmm. who had killed you know, uh, and wounded a lot of Americans. But in a way, at least he called them jihadis. Isn't that, wasn't that sort of a breakthrough? You know, for the it's Obama funny, administration?
0: The, when I lived in New York at 81st and New York, I had a guy selling knockoff jihadis down at the corner. It was very annoying every time you go <laughs> buy them. Um, but th- listen, I saw the, saw the video at com early this week of Congressman Cotton of Arkansas, pointing out that since President Obama's been in office, five jihadis have made it to their targets. The good news for us has been that four of them were inept or unable to commit their attack or they were stopped before uh, too many people were hurt. Then Peter King pointed out that he knows of at least five circumstances where the FBI or CIA had been told about an individual and that individual, after being checked by them, what went on to uh, to kill uh, or hurt Americans. That's I, I don't understand why that's not a record not only worth examining but we should be that should be the lead of the news after a bombing that injured 280 people and killed three Americans.
1: No, I agree, and it is worrisome. As there are people out there looking at the the lessons from these jihadis, some of whom, as you say, were not that competent. Thank God, and people who are more competent are saying, "What lessons can we learn from that?" So it is worrisome. I, I talked to some people close to the intelligence community who said that the Plot that the Canadians uh, announced they had disrupted earlier this week—the plot of uh, Al Qaeda-related individuals who were in touch with Al Qaeda, uh, you know, minders or organizers uh, in Iran—and um, that's pretty. I was told that was a serious plot. Um, it raises very worrisome questions about how, you know, if you think about it, Al Qaeda people located in Iran who are themselves in touch with the other Al Qaeda, you know, franchises in Afghanistan, Pakistan, elsewhere are able to get people into Canada and pl- plot a rather sophisticated, apparently, attack on the U.S. and Canada. I mean, they're they're probing and they're testing, and I mean, I, I, I think a lot of people on our side are working awfully hard to stop them, but I wish the top leadership, both in the Obama administration but really across the political elite, a little more serious about dealing with this threat.
0: Well, the notion that this threat is uh, localized here in America nonsense. When you realize that Tamerlin traveled to uh, Russia, traveled to uh, Dagestan, uh, the the uh, expertise it took to make those bombs, uh, according to the latest news reports, almost certainly from you know from elsewhere, from outside the country, helping him. Uh, but there's another threat outside the country that we are apparently trying to ignore as much as possible, too, Bill, and that's in Syria.
1: Yeah. And the president has said over and over. First, he said uh, Assad must go. That was about a year and a half ago and 70,000 lives ago. And we've done nothing and looked weak. I, I've talked to people from the Middle East, and these are Israelis and Arabs um, and actually non-Arabs, people from elsewhere in the Middle East, uh, people who are on, on the whole would like to see that we strong America, thinking that that helps stabilize the situation there. And I've asked them, you know, what would you sort of, what's, you know, how do things look from your point of view over there? And one guy said to me a couple months ago, I will give you a one-word answer, Syria. I think we underestimate here. You know, we're busy people. The president says one thing, he says another thing. We don't think much of it. we underestimate the effect of a president of the United States saying this is unacceptable and then doing nothing. And now the, quote, red line, which he's repeatedly uh, stated and uh, has been crossed, uh, the use of chemical weapons, and he's um, delaying and wants to go to the UN to really make sure that they've used the chemical weapons. Uh, Instead of beginning to make the case or to consult with congressional leaders and make the case to the country about what we're going to have to do to stop these chemical weapons from getting into al-Qaeda-related hands or to stop them being used in the first place for that matter as well. I mean, this is a case study of non-intervention. I understand perfectly well that intervention is problematic, but it turns out that non-intervention is awfully problematic as a foreign policy principle as well.
0: I thought that it would mean something when people said yes definitely chemical weapons I mean we it it, it seemed to the casual observer that that was the kind of threat that would drag President Obama into action. It's been astonishing to me, Bill, and I'm not nearly up, uh, as up on this as you are, to see how hard the White House is working to say, well, yeah, it's a red line, but so what? Well, if, it's, if the red line is so what, then what is not so what? what? Is is—is there anything Syria could do that would cause um, uh, Obama to lead the West into action?
1: Well, as, as Democratic Congressman Adam Smith said, and he's ranking Democrat on House Armed Services close to the administration, uh, in explaining this yesterday, he said the president said it was a red line. What the president never said was what that meant exactly. <laughs> That's really wonderful, <laughs> you know. I mean, what does that do to the U.S., <laughs> the U.S. credibility of the world? And incidentally, well, how are our red lines with Iran and North Korea doing? Secretary Kerry. Mm-hmm. John Kerry your your gift to the country from Massachusetts keeps saying over and over that we do not we can't accept North Korea as a nuclear state as a nuclear weapon state. Well, they are a nuclear weapon state. What does it do when we keep saying we can't accept it and of course on Iran, the really big the biggest threat of all uh, we've again said over and over certain things are unacceptable uh, then we've moderated modified our bargaining position to say, okay, well, you can have some enrichment, but not that much and nonetheless, they continue to scored us, and I think they look at their at what 's happening in Syria and think, Are you kidding these guys aren 't serious I am now really worried I mean I think that we sort of have obama 's had a weak foreign policy throughout we, we we had a sort of a reservoir of strength really to live off of, and I think it took the world a while to adjust um, and i 'm very worried we 're now over the next three years going to pay a a, really a damaging price for this for these continued signals of of weakness and retreat
0: speaking of weakness and retreat the uh, republicans in the senate on the issue of immigration immigration reform and upholding the rule of law it seems pretty clear that they're ready to abandon that whole treat everyone the same the law applies to everyone thing they're ready to throw that right out the window in order to cut some kind of politically motivated deal
1: I've been struck. I mean, I was a liberal on immigration reform uh, in 2006, 2007. I I opposed Pete Wilson in 1994, way back in ancient history, when he really went harshly a sort of anti-immigrant, I thought, in California. I think it was both politically and unwise and actually kind of foolish public policy. Having said all that, I've been watching this debate, and I would say I was genuinely uncertain, probably leading favorable to the notion of an immigration bill in this Congress, and I have a very high regard for Marco Rubio. And the more I watch the debate, and I'm just trying to watch it as kind of an observer evaluating the arguments, the critics of the bill are just clobbering the proponents of the bill. If you just read the arguments on both sides and get rid of the rhetoric and and get rid of the political desperation, I think which foolishly thinks, oh, if they pass this bill, somehow it solves Republicans' political problems. Um, And just look at the actual substantive arguments. This is a bill that creates huge bureaucracies uh, with, with doing things that they don't, know how to do with phony triggers and phony ways of measuring things um there was a uh, some big proponent of the bill was asked yesterday well how many legal immigrants would this create over the next 10 years well we can't know as she said uh, it, you know, it's a very very sophisticated bill and so it really requires even more analysis it reminded me so much of nancy pelosi saying that we, well, we can't really know what's in the health care bill right until we pass it. And how's that working out now, incidentally? I mean, Democratic senators are panicking because the thing is such a train wreck. I really think this immigration bill, if passed, could turn into an equal train wreck. And the trouble with the immigration bill is once people get legalized, you're not going to unlegalize them, right? Right. So this is more than health care even. This is a sort of, once you do it, there's no going back. So I am now uh, against this bill, at least against it as it stands, and moving forward quickly on it. I think there really needs to be a serious debate about the host of provisions that are in there. Mm -hmm. And I do think it would be in Marco Rubio's interest if Senator Leahy, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, doesn't give uh, the time for that debate. He should not, in my view, continue to support this bill.
0: There's a very simple uh, offering that the Republicans can make that could Make it possible to move forward or to reevaluate that is simply let's have one year of enforcement. Let's have one year of workplace enforcement and we will commit after that one year of workplace enforcement to put everything else on the table and make something happen because what it will do is reveal the fact that the uh, supporters of amnesty or whatever you want to call it will never accept enforcement ever. And if they don't accept enforcement today, they certainly won't accept it after the reform is passed and then new illegal immigrants arrive. They won't uh, find themselves facing enforcement any more than current illegal immigrants do.
1: Right. And also, I think there are other things you could, I mean, if if the e-verify system is messed up, Mm -hmm. if other things aren't working, the entry-exit stuff, let's, you know, revise those and put some money behind them. As you say, see how they're doing a year or two from now. There isn't any urgency. I mean, it, 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 there's, there's not really urgency. I was about to qualify what I was going to say, but I'll just say it. There's not an immigration crisis. It's been going on a long time. The numbers are fairly stable. Most of these people are working. They don't seem, in fact, particularly miserable. Honestly, they're 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 making more than they could make in their home countries, right. sending a lot of money back home. It's a little weird that they're not legal, and there are some issues that that raises. Obviously in various cases but this is not an unsustainable problem in the united states of america i think if you asked a normal american what ten things you want to fix about the way the country looks right now i don't know that the current status of illegal immigrants would be in the top ten i think people think it's it's it you know it's a, we've let it build up a long time it's unfortunate it should be fixed but rushing's a, a huge eight hundred fifty page bill through congress that people don't know uh, really what it's going to do, except that it's going to legalize all these people. That's the one thing we know. Everything else is speculative. Enforcement, de-verify, economic consequences, guest workers, all of that's going to be kind of worked out later by these big bureaucracies that conservatives don't trust and are right not to trust. The one thing we know is that it legalizes 11 million people, and I think that's not something we should do rashly.
0: Well, as long as Chechens from Dagestan can s- continue to get their welfare benefits bill all as well in America, well, you know, we, that's we, our message in Massachusetts.
1: Us, we in Virginia really you know, we, we, that's a real model for us in, in Virginia, <laughs> the way you guys are running things in Massachusetts. And I'll, I'll actually ask Governor McDonald to make sure that our illegal Chechens, you know, who are considering terrorist acts are getting welfare benefits too.
0: Bill Crystal with the Weekly Standard, thanks so much for joining us. This podcast was brought to you by the International Council of Shopping Centers. Call your senators today and ask them to give local retailers a fair chance to compete by supporting the Marketplace Fairness Act 2013. I'm your host, Michael Graham.